Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Our text this morning is again Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, as we continue our study of Jesus' teaching on prayer here in his Sermon on the Mount as as part of uh, our short series on the means of grace. Uh, To this point, we have looked at the Word as a means of grace, and we have looked at baptism and the Lord's Supper as means of grace, and we are now uh, considering prayer as a means of grace. And we have seen that prayer becomes for us a means of grace first when we learn to pray to our Father in heaven, our Father who who knows what we need and, and delights to give it even before we ask. And second, when we give priority in our prayers to God's name, to God's kingdom, and to God's will. This morning, we will be considering the second half, or at least begin considering the second half of the Lord's Prayer, in which we ask for our daily bread, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for deliverance from evil. And we will see how these prayers continue this idea that prayer is for us a means of grace. Beginning this morning with the first petition, the petition for daily bread. But before we hear the reading and the preaching of God's word, let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon it here this morning. Father, as we come to you this morning, we come asking that you would remember your promise, that your word will not return to you void. Father God, work through your word by your spirit here this morning to do your good work, that, that work of renewal and transformation, that work of making the dead alive, that, that work of growing us up in our salvation, that work of conforming us more and more to the image of the glory of your Son. Father, do these things, we pray, according to your promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. This is the very word of God. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the very word of God. Children, you can come forward to meet me at the front. Well, good morning. There's plenty of seats. Just find one. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have chores that you have to do around the house? How many of you have chores? You got chores you have to do? What are are some of the chores that you have to do? What are some of the things you have to do? You have to clean up your floor? Yeah. Um, uh, um, Clean up my bed. Clean up your bed. Yeah, yeah. 
You have to do your laundry. Yeah, we all have chores. And some of you, if you may, don't have chores yet, you will as you get older. And, and while you may not believe it now, it's actually good that you have chores. Do you know in the very beginning, God said that work was a blessing. It was a gift. It's, it's a gift for us to have work to do. And, and you get to do work that contributes to your household, to having a, a nice place to live. Your, your parents let you partner in that. They let you participate in that. And and. Actually, they're letting you learn how to do it so that you can do it for the rest of your life. And, you know, it's actually something like that in God's kingdom as well. God gives us work to do. He, he gives us uh, good things that we can do for his kingdom. In fact, uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians uh, that when he saved us, when he made us alive together with Christ, he actually prepared good works that we should walk in them. And so you, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you have good works. You have chores, not only in your household, but you have chores in the kingdom of God. You have things that you can do to serve the kingdom and to serve your king. Did you know that? Did you know that you could do things to serve Jesus? Did you know that? You didn't know that? Yeah, some of you did. All right, yeah, you, you actually have some good works that you can do. Now, let me ask you another question. In my house, my kids are older than you guys now, but even when they were little, they had chores to do, and, even, and now they have even bigger chores to do. And so when my kids have chores to do, do you think I give them the things that they need to do those chores? Do you think I give them the things they need to do? Yeah, yeah. I brought some of those things today. I just kind of thought they were kind of fun. All right. When, when I ask Hannah to dust, we give her this fun little glove, right? We don't just make her get all the dust off the furniture with no, no tools. We, we give her a little glove to use. And, and when we ask Jacob to mop the kitchen, we, we give him a mop, this little mop. And it has a, a cool little handle where it can get longer and shorter. So even someone tall like Jacob can, can use it. And my favorite tool is this vacuum because it's just really kind of cool. It's just a little, it's a, it's a vacuum. That's right. And it's a, it's a very light vacuum uh, that you can use to, to vacuum the stairs. And so, but there's other tools too. When Jacob has to cut the grass, he has a lawnmower. Right? When Hannah's washing dishes, there's a dishwasher in the kitchen. Can you believe that? There, there are tools that they can use. We provide them with what they need. And, and it's not just the tools for the need. We also give them food. Do you think they need to eat if they're going to do their chores? You think they need to sleep if they're going to do their chores? You think we give them a place to sleep? Yeah, they have a bed in the house. Can you believe that? And, and so they, they, they have everything they need. We provide them with everything they need so that they can do the chores. And in the prayer that we just heard that Jesus is teaching his disciples, he tells us that God is like that. God is a, a parent who loves to give his kids everything they need so that they can do the good works that they've been given to do. And that's what I want you to understand this morning. This is the most important thing. God has prepared good works for you to do. God has, has given you good things that you can do. You can honor your parents, you can share with your siblings, you can be kind to a friend. There are all kinds of good things that you can do to glorify God. And here's the thing. He will give you everything you need to do everything that he has given you to do. And because he gives us everything we need, because we, we will lack nothing we need to do what he's given us to do, that's one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. All right, you guys can go back to that's awesome. You have a dishwasher? Yes, that's very nice. All right. Well, if you've not done so already, open your Bibles to that text, to Matthew chapter 6. As I said, we are uh, continuing our study this morning of, of prayer and of 
prayer as a means of grace. But as I noted a couple of weeks ago, we do not always experience prayer as a means of grace. For, for many of us, much of the time, prayer is more of a means of shame or of frustration than a means of grace. That's because most of us, if not all of us, struggle with prayer. I doubt any of us would say that our prayer lives are all that they should be, that there's no room at all for improvement. And many of us would say that there's too much room for improvement, that we fall woefully short. But, despite those struggles, despite the fact that we all struggle with prayer, I doubt that any of us is prayerless. <laughs> we all pray. We do not pray as we should, but we, we pray. And so the, the initial question I have for you this morning, as we, as we begin to, to think about the second half of the Lord's Prayer, the initial question I have for you this morning is, <coughs> what cares or concerns most consistently drive you to prayer? When do you most easily find yourself praying, crying out to God for his mercy and for his provision? We saw last week that the focus of prayer, the, the driving ambition behind our prayers is to be the honor of God's name and the coming of his kingdom. But I suspect, I suspect that truth be told, these, these are not the concerns that most often drive us to prayer. In my experience, at least, the, the concerns that most effectively and most consistently, consistently drive Christians to prayer uh, center on our need for provision for this life. We pray for safety when we travel. <laughs> we, we want to be protected from, from harm and, and even from inconvenience. We pray for healing when someone we love or even ourselves are sick or, or hurt. We pray for our material needs to be met, for, for us to, to find gainful employment when it's needed, to, to have the resources we need to provide for our physical well-being. We pray for wisdom to make the best choices so that we can avoid unnecessary trouble or pain. And let me say right up front that these are not improper subjects for prayer. We are actually commanded to, to make our requests known to God and to cast all of our anxieties upon him who cares for us. And certainly this includes our, our need for physical and, and material provision and, and protection. After all, Jesus says all these things, referring to what we will eat and to what we will drink and to what we will wear. He says all these things will be added unto us when we seek first the kingdom. So it cannot be wrong to pray for these things. But we need to ask a question. How we pray for these things matters. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that, that these requests, these requests for our, our physical protection and our material needs, they must be made in the context of the requests in the first half of this prayer. They, they must be made in the context of this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples. You see, it is not the case that we begin with the honor of God's name and the coming of his kingdom and the doing of his will, and then we kind of get that out of the way and, and move on to other things. It's not the case that now that we've done our homework, we can go outside and play. That's the way we think about it sometimes, okay? We've got to do this. This is what's necessary. This is what's required. We, we pray these things, and then we get to pray for what we're really concerned about. 
But it's not the case that we are moving on from the first half of the prayer to, to other unrelated concerns. Rather, we must see that the request for bread and the request for forgiveness and the, the request for deliverance that we will consider in the weeks to come, that these prayers in the second half of the prayer, that these flow out of and are ultimately connected to the first requests for God's name and for his kingdom and for his will. When we ask for daily bread, we are asking for the provisions that we need to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. When we ask for bread, we are asking what we need to do those good works that he has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. When we pray the second half of the prayer, we are not asking for things that we want for ourselves exclusively, that we want for our own enjoyment and pleasure and protection, independent of or, or unrelated to our concern for God's glory and his name and his, and his kingdom. On the contrary, we are asking for what we need to pursue and accomplish those very things, to, to pursue and accomplish our chief end as defined by those first three petitions. This is why someone has compared prayer to the radio that a platoon takes into battle. Now, I've never been in the armed forces, and I've uh, never been in battle, but I've seen it on TV. And the radio that allows the platoon to communicate with, with those back at base, those back at the headquarters, and to, to, to make those requests, that, that radio is something like prayer. Because the vast majority, if not all, of those requests that are sent over that radio are, are petitions for material provision and physical protection related to the mission. They're not unrelated requests. They're, they're not praying for things that, uh, that they just simply want for, uh, for, their, for their life uh, elsewhere. They are praying for what they need to accomplish the mission that they have been given. The things essential and necessary to the accomplishment of that mission. And it ought to be the same with prayer, the requests we bring to God in prayer, they ought to be related to our primary essential mission, our, our, our mission of, of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever, our mission of seeking first His kingdom and, and His righteousness. And the, prayer, the requests we make ought to tie directly to that. And, and when they do not, when this is not the case, I suspect it is most often because we do not actually have a compelling sense of being on mission. We, we use the, the first three petitions because we say them in church and we, we learned them in Sunday school. But those petitions have not yet gripped our hearts and shaped our lives as they should. We give lip service to God's honor and His kingdom and His will as, as the, the primary motivations of our lives, and yet... Too often we find ourselves living for ourselves, seeking first our own interests and our own desires. And therefore, when we pray for bread, for provision, we are praying for it for our own reasons, for our own agendas, for our own purposes. When we pray for bread, we are not doing it in a way that honors God as God but in a way that exalts ourselves. And therefore, if we are going to experience prayer as Jesus intends us to, this is where we must begin. 
We must learn to pray for daily bread as those who are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We must learn to pray the second half of the Lord's Prayer in the context of the first half. We must learn to pray these petitions together. And that is why I actually challenged you last Sunday to begin using this prayer. If you don't use this pattern of prayer, you should. Jesus taught it to us for a reason. He taught it to us to teach us how to pray. And so you can actually begin using the words themselves in your your morning prayers, going through the prayer itself, or you can use it as as an outline for your prayers. But one way or the other, we ought to be praying like this because we need the first half of the prayer to, to shape and transform our lives and our hearts if we are going to pray the second half of the prayer as Jesus intended. So if you are not yet using this prayer, I again challenge you to do so. Begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. Begin to pray after the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Because it's when we pray this way that we are changed. Prayer is not only expressive of of our desires and our wants, it is formative of our hearts. And we need to let it do that formation. And if it's going to do that formation correctly, we need to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. And so again, I I just begin with this challenge to to use the Lord's Prayer so that we might begin to pray the second half, which we're going to look at, begin looking at this morning, in connection with the first half. We need to pray for bread and for forgiveness and for deliverance in the context of our ultimate desire to see His name glorified and to see His kingdom come and to see His will be done because that's what these prayers are for when we pray for daily bread we are asking for the provision we need to honor God as God and we are praying for the provision we need to to serve his kingdom and we are praying for the provision we need to do his will and so with that clearly in mind with this connection clearly in mind I want us to to look more closely at the first petition itself so first the reason we ask for daily bread Why? Why does Jesus use that image? Why does Jesus teach us to ask for bread? I've been assuming that this first petition has to do with our our need for provision. And I I think that's pretty much universally acknowledged. I don't think anybody really disagrees about that. This this first petition, this petition for daily bread, is is about provision. And that includes uh, the the material and the physical provisions that we we need. It it pertains to every bodily thing, to, to literal food. Uh, it pertains to, to shelter, to, to clothing. It pertains to, uh, to sleep. I've prayed for sleep a lot uh, of late. It pertains to every physical and, and, and uh, material thing that we need, but it also in, includes other things that we don't think of as, as physical, but are nevertheless provisions. Do you need patience to do the things that God has prepared for you to do? Do you need wisdom? to do the things that God has prepared you to do? Do you you need joy and, and, and hope? Do you need love? These two are included in the prayer for provision. When we pray for our daily bread, we are, we are praying for everything we need to honor God as God and to, to seek first his righteousness. And we can, we can bring all of those needs for provision before God. We can, we can bring them generally or we can bring them specifically. But when we pray for bread, we are praying for every provision that we need. But why bread? Why does God use bread? Why does Jesus use bread to to give us a picture of that provision? I think we actually need to be careful at this point. 
Most of us associate bread with sort of the the bare necessities, the the minimum required of sustenance, you know, subsistence level provision. That's that's what we think of of when we think of bread, right? We, We think of a prisoner living on bread and water. In fact, it's often been pointed out that that Jesus teaches us to pray for bread and not filet mignon or or not apple pie. And when people say things like that, what they mean to convey is that Jesus teaches us to pray for necessities and not luxuries. I'm sure you've heard something like that. And in a sense, that is correct. I've just been saying that, that we are supposed to ask God for those things that are essential to our mission. We are to ask God for that which we need to do his will. However, I, want, I don't want you to make the mistake of, of associating necessary with meager. That is not at all what Jesus intends. It would be a mistake to associate bread with the minimum required provision, with the, with the bare necessities, with, with what we need to just barely get by. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all because bread simply did not have that connotation in Jesus' day. When Jesus fed the 5,000, and again, when he fed the the 4,000, he fed them with bread. And that bread was not meant to be seen as meager provision. It was not meant to be seen as the bare necessity. On the contrary, the accounts of those miracles present Jesus to us as an abundant Provider. That's the, the point of all the pieces that are left over, the baskets fulls that they, they pick up. The, the, the writers of the Gospels, they, they mention those leftovers specifically so that we won't miss the point. Jesus provides a super abundance. He doesn't provide just enough. He doesn't provide the, the bare necessities. He provides more than enough, a super abundance. And that super abundance came in the form of bread. We see the same thing when we consider that Jesus describes his own body, broken for sinners, as bread. Again, you recognize immediately that it would be absurd in the extreme to think of Jesus describing his body as bread uh, in order to suggest that it was meager or, or just enough. Jesus' sacrifice is all sufficient. It is, it is the superabundance of grace that is greater than all our sins. And so do not confuse Jesus' use of the image of bread with this idea of of the bare necessities, of of the minimum requirement. That is not what Jesus intends at all. You are not restricted to asking God for the bare necessities when you pray. You are not asking God, you're not not restricted to asking God for for the least that you could get away with. As if, as if asking for more would be greedy or, or selfish. True, we, we must ask for that which enables us to live lives worthy of our calling. That's why we're praying for our bread. We, we are asking for that which will enable us to, to live to the praise of his glory, to serve his kingdom, to do those good works that he has prepared for us to do because we are not our own. We have been bought with our price. Our whole lives are to be offered to God as living sacrifices, as whole burnt offerings without reservation or qualification. All of that is true. But understand, we are free to ask for whatever we need, whatever would be good, whatever would promote our pursuit of his honor and his kingdom, uh, however grand the request. We don't have to make small requests because we're praying for bread. Bread represents every good provision. And we are free to ask for big requests, big things, whatever would 
be necessary, whatever would be good, whatever would profit us serving his kingdom and his will. We are not going to strain his resources. He is the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the almighty God who does whatever he pleases. He calls into existence things that, that formerly did not exist. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Whatever, whatever biblical image resonates with your heart, understand you are not going to strain his resources. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask or imagine. A good general does not provide his troops with the minimum they need to get the job done. He provides them with the best he's got. How much more our heavenly Father. He will provide us with the best he's got to pursue his glory. So you may be able to, you may be able to do a lot with the minimum. But how much more? Can we serve God with the full abundance of his arsenal at our disposal? And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to ask for. Don't think of bread as the minimum requirement. What do you need to glorify his name? What would empower you and enable you to, to live to the praise of his glory? Whatever it is, ask for it. Ask for what you need. Because it is God's good pleasure to provide you with everything you need to do His will and to seek first His kingdom. Now, of course, there's a, a caveat here. Because we are asking, even for big things, but because we are asking in order to serve Him, we do leave the final decision in His hands. If God has a purpose for our sickness, if God has a purpose for our want, if God has a, a purpose for our suffering then we are willing to endure those things even with joy. Not because they are good in themselves. Don't, don't ever get that confused. Christians do not rejoice in suffering because somehow suffering is, is good. Suffering is not good. Suffering is an expression of the evil of this present age. But we are able to endure even such trials with joy because we know that we have entrusted ourselves to our Heavenly Father who has all the resources, who, who delights to give them and if he is withholding, it is for his good purposes, not for any other reason. And so the, the troubles that we have in this life, when we experience want, when we experience sickness, when we experience oppression, those things are not good in themselves, but we trust that God has a purpose in them, that he is working through them uh, and with them for his own glory and our good. And because his glory is our ultimate concern, we trust that he knows how to get glory for himself better than we do. And so we don't only trust him, we entrust ourselves to him. But in the meantime, we ask. We ask for what we need. We ask for what we think will, be, will best equip us to live to the praise of his glory. So whatever it is you need, whatever it is you need to serve him, ask, ask for it, even if it's big. Ask even if it's beyond uh, what you think God would reasonably supply. Ask. You're asking your Father, who is the maker of heaven and earth. Ask for your daily bread. And then once you have asked, rest in his kind provision. That's why we ask for daily bread. But, but again, it's, it's daily bread. That's the second thing I want you to see here. We are asking for bread, but we are asking for our, our daily bread. We don't just ask for it once. We, we don't just ask for it at the beginning of our Christian life. We don't just pray once, a, uh, once a, in our life or once a year or once a month. We, we pray 
daily. He, Jesus drives this point home later, even in this own chapter, when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will, will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You need to pray today for today's provision. But, but why? If, if our Father knows what we need, why does he want us to pray daily for our bread? Well, again, I think Jesus is seeking to form our hearts. He understands that, that praying daily for this day's bread teaches us to rest in him. It teaches us to walk by faith. He, he wants us to live by trust. Now, again, we need to be careful at this point and, and not misunderstand what this means. Most of us like to plan ahead, at least a little bit. We, we don't like to move forward until we know our, our resources are, are lined up. Some of you, for reasons I don't know or understand, like to go camping. <laughs> and when you go camping, you want to make sure that, that you are taking the resources that's going to make that a, at least a somewhat enjoyable experience with you. You don't just walk out into the woods entirely unprepared. I, I don't go camping, but when, when I go even to a place where there's going to be a building that I can sleep in with air conditioning, I, I still like to pack. I like to provide, get all my things in order, and I, I almost always overpack just in case. I want a few extra pairs of socks in case I have to uh, walk through the rain. I, I like to be prepared. And I want you to hear me say that, that there is wisdom in that. I may overdo it a bit, but it is good to be prepared. There is no virtue in, in flying by the seat of your parents. There is no virtue in being unprepared. We, we need to know that we have the resources uh, that are necessary to bring the work to completion. In fact, God commends such preparation. He, he commends the ant for it. But we have a tendency to trust in our preparations rather than God. We have a, a tendency to trust in what we can see, what we can touch, what we can count on, what we can, when we can quantify. And this is where we need to understand what it means to walk by faith. Walking by faith means believing God is all the resource we need. We can use our wisdom to, to prepare. We can use our wisdom to, to plan. We can use our, our wisdom to, to line up the resources. But walking by faith means believing that if God is with us, that everything and anything we could possibly need is at our ready disposal. Now, there's a, a fine line there. It's easy to fall off on either side. We don't want to be careless, but at the same time, we want to trust. We want to entrust ourselves to God. Now, think about what that means for you. What is God calling you to? What, what good works has he prepared for you? Some of you, he has called to, to get married in the near or not too distant future. Let me ask you, are you ready? If you think so, you're wrong. <laughs> you, you're not ready, and you never will be. That's a, that's a fact. But he is all the resource you need. He is all the resource you need to, to live with your future spouse as a godly husband or as a, as a godly wife. That doesn't mean that you don't do the premarital counseling or that you don't read the books or that you don't go to the seminars. All those are good and God uses those things. But your sufficiency for what he has called you to is in him. And after you're married, he may call you to be a parent. And guess what? You won't be ready. You won't be ready. But your sufficiency is in him. Others of you, he is, he is calling to, to walk beside a young believer as they, as they grow towards maturity in Christ. Are you ready for that? <laughs> no, you're not. 
It'll be more than you can handle on your own. But you won't be on your own. He is your sufficiency. Is God calling you to share the gospel with an unbeliever in your neighborhood or at, at work? You're not ready. <laughs> you are not competent to that task on your own. But he is with you. And he is all the sufficiency you need. Is he calling you to work for, for justice at your workplace or in your community? Again, you're not sufficient to such a calling. But he is sufficiency. He is your competency. And we could go on. We could, we could list one good work after another. And the truth is, we are not sufficient for the good works that God has called us to do. But he is enough. He is our sufficiency. In him, we have all the resources that we need. In him, every necessary and good provision is at your disposal. This was the lesson that the, the people of God were to learn when they were in the wilderness. When God called them to wander for some 40 years, he gave them daily bread. Why? So that they might learn to entrust themselves to him. That they might learn that he was their sufficiency. There in the desert, there simply were no other resources other than God. They had to walk by faith, and they had to do it daily. They couldn't gather a week's worth of bread on, on Monday. They, they had to gather it day by day because God wanted them to learn to trust. And Jesus is teaching us the same lesson here in this prayer. He's teaching us to entrust ourselves to him Daily, He has all the resources. He is all sufficient. In him, we have everything we need for the asking. So let us ask, but let us ask, trusting that he will provide what we need. One of the reasons we struggle with this is, is because we live with such abundance. We, we live in an, in an age of, of such apparent security. But I hope you know that that security is a myth. <laughs> Your health is far more fragile than you're aware. At any moment, we or, or someone we love could be hurt or, or diagnosed with a terminal illness. Money is fragile. We, we think we have enough, but one accident, one layoff, one downturn could, could put any one of us at the end of our means in the blink of an eye. Security is fragile. We, we think we, we live in the, the peace of the United States, and we do, and it's a blessing. But again, all of that could be taken away in a moment's notice. History teaches us that. We simply do not know what the future holds. We don't know what today holds. And therefore Jesus says you need to learn to pray daily for your bread. You need to learn to entrust yourself to Jesus today for the resources you need today to do the good work that he has prepared for you to do today. And what I want you to see is that when we begin to pray this way, it changes us. It shapes our heart. It, it makes us into people who walk by faith rather than by sight. And there is a promise for such people. There is a promise for people who are willing to walk by faith. It's the last thing I want you to see uh, in uh, this first petition of the second half of the prayer. It is the promise that's inherent here. Again, remember, Jesus is, is teaching us to ask our heavenly Father for this provision. He's teaching us to ask our Heavenly Father for the bread we need. And in shaping the prayer that way, he, he is teaching us that what we ask for will be provided. Again, he'll say that explicitly later. Ask, and it will be given. Ask, 
and you will be given what you need. He says that later, all these things, all these things will be added unto the one who seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Your father not only has the resources, but he delights to give them. He is generous and willing. Ask then and you will receive. In fact, John goes so far uh, as to, to quote Jesus as saying, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Now we get uncomfortable when we read those verses. We, we know that, that Jesus isn't giving us some sort of blank check. We know he isn't espousing some sort of name it and claim it health and wealth gospel. To ask for something in Jesus' name is, is not a, a magic formula. But Jesus means what he says. Ask in my name and I will give it. Now to ask uh, something in Jesus' name is to ask it for the sake of his name. It's to, it's to ask what we need to, to honor him. And the promise is that what we need to honor him, what we need to live as becomes his followers, it will be provided. That's the promise. True Christians will never lack the resources they need to glorify and enjoy God each day. You need to know that. You need to hear that. True Christians will never lack the resources that they need to glorify and enjoy God each and every day. Think about what that means. It means if you lack something, if you lack something even this morning, if, you're, if your mind is already focused on that thing that, that you don't have, that, that prayer that hasn't been answered, if you lack something, if you lack health, if you lack some material provision, if you lack some basic security, it is not because God does not care. It is not because God has not noticed. It is not because God does not have the resources to provide. If you lack, by faith we say, it is because God has another plan for you right now. It is because God intends to use that lack for your good and His glory. Now again, don't misunderstand. It is not God's plan that any of His children go without forever. His coming kingdom will be a land of abundance. His coming kingdom will be a land of, of good overflowing. To borrow the Old Testament language, the, that land, Emmanuel's land, it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. But in God's deep wisdom, in His mysterious wisdom, in this life, in this evil age, sometimes He asks us to go without for the sake of His name. We don't always get it. We don't have to. But by faith, we must believe that God is for us and that he is enough and that he is working for our good even through the want. Because he is our heavenly father and he has promised to do so and he has sealed that promise with the gift of his son whom he did not spare but put forward as a sacrifice for our sins that we might be made heirs of that coming kingdom. That's the promise when you pray for your daily bread. When you pray for bread, you're praying for all the provision you need to do the will of his God. And you're praying for it daily because you know that, that daily you are utterly and completely dependent upon him. But you pray in the hope and the confidence that is yours in praying to your heavenly father who has already demonstrated his love beyond all reasonable doubt in the gift of his son. And because we pray for daily bread in the name of Jesus who was given up for us, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this prayer. 
We thank you for the way that it teaches us to pray. We thank you for the way that it shapes us as we pray. And we pray now, Father, that you would even now, by your Spirit, be teaching us to pray for our daily bread, that we might do all those good works that you have prepared for us to do, to the praise of the glory of your name and the good of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.